Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to let everybody know we are open for enrollment in Blueprint to Book More, our signature online course that shows you step-by-step how to set up your sales process around the way couples want to buy and also trains you on skills to develop in those key areas like inquiry responses, discovery calls, proposal writing, overcoming objections, negotiations, and closing deals. It's available for one week, February 22nd to March 1st, and it comes with three free months of group coaching and support from me and Katie. If you're looking to stop wondering if you're doing things the right way, if you want to quit obsessing about why others are talking about the wedding boom, but you're not really feeling it, if you don't want to worry anymore about how to level up, and if you want to stop piecing together free content while valuable, it can be challenging to put in the right order, we're going to give you the exact step-by-step with the blueprint to book more. Our advanced sales training program, Catapult, which we opened up in January, was $5,000. That's a lot of money. And Blueprint to Book More is way less, under 1000 If you can work at your own pace and you're ready to dig in to make your sales process better, this could be the right course for you. If you're on the fence or not sure, just keep in mind that this entire program, money back guaranteed. Check out blueprinttobookmore.com for more information and to get started on filling in your calendar for 2022 and 2023. It's tempting to jump to solutions with couples who inquire. Are you available and can you send me pricing and packages? So what do you do? You send them the information, right? Well, not so fast. And certainly not if you want to book more couples at higher rates. In this week's episode, we're going to see why and when you should hold back your solutions how to create more desire for your services, two common missteps wedding pros make on inquiries, and why it's hard to sell your packages and pricing on a phone call, and what to do instead. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets, Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Many of you know that I am a huge fan of coaching, and it's not just because I do it for wedding pros like you. But I'm a believer in it because I've been through it myself. Now, I did not need to get coaching on how to be a better salesperson to improve my sales skills, but I did get coaching on how to be a better leader. I wanted to improve my leadership skills, specifically for people on my team who were not the same as me. It's hard working with other kinds of people, other types of people. And I'm not talking about surface level differences, demographics and things like that. I'm talking about people who are wired differently. So as I started doing this work, I realized that I had to know myself before I could start to control how it was that I was working with the people who were around me. What was I saying? What was I doing? I had to be aware of that first before I could regulate the good things and the bad things that were impacting my team. Now, I worked with my coach, Laura Moriarty, with Tahoe Training Partners, and one of the things that we did was go through four different communication styles. 
And here's a little sneak peek of my communication style at work. This is from her information. Seeks alignment between goals and output in an organization. Works hard to make the organization productive. Goal-oriented. Like to give people the product or skills that they need. Can get a lot of things done in a short period of time. Works well with other team members who are task-oriented and act quickly. Difficulty tolerating people who are slow in making decisions. Sometimes impulsive in their action. Will focus on actions first. Enjoy solving difficult problems. Communication strength is directness. And finally, believes productivity. It is organization's best asset. So as you can imagine, I'm all about getting things done. In fact, I almost called my company GSD because I was all about getting things done. But there was a different word for things. Now, when I sold weddings, it's had a lot of upsides. I had high individual productivity. I was a workhorse. I mean, I, I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and I was getting a ton of stuff done. I would have loved to have me on my team. Not only did I work a lot, but I worked very efficiently. And that saved my energy so that I could work on more events. Because I was finding not just ways to do things, but the best ways to do things. I love the challenge of juggling the selling and the servicing at the same time. Not only was I able to do a lot for just myself, but I was able to delegate tasks to the team. I could see the big picture and understand how the whole organization was going to flow in a way that got a lot of things done. I realized that I could multiply me by creating a system that saved everyone time, energy, and money. Now, all these things sound great, right? Well, there were also some downsides. I expected a lot from me, but that also meant that I transferred that over to other people. I expected a lot from everybody that I worked with. And I learned that this is actually a negative leadership characteristic called pace setting. I believe I can do it like this, or this fast, or this way, or this well, and so should you. I was also frustrated at the slow progress that groups of people tend to make. When you're working with a large group of people, or even a small group of people, it oftentimes takes longer to get things done. Imagine an individual running his or her segment of a relay race, compared to everybody on the relay team holding on to the baton at one time. It's much slower sometimes when groups are working together. And so I tended to work by myself and I was oftentimes a bull in a China shop when I was getting together with peers or even with my bosses. Over the years, it's been a goal of mine since going through this coaching and gaining this self-awareness to start to self-regulate. How can I chill out and enjoy the moments along the way? It's not just about the destination, it's a journey. How can I be satisfied with amazing instead of constantly trying to overachieve more than amazing? And finally, how can I recognize that good enough is good enough for now? And be okay with that. Be accepting of it. Be satisfied. Be content. Rather than always striving for more. Now, most of you don't know, but my parents were both therapists. <laughs> yeah, that might explain a lot. My, my mom was a social worker who did one-on-one -on -one counseling. My dad was a psychologist who worked in a clinical setting for Kaiser Permanente for his whole career. Now, my mom took a little bit more of a spiritual approach, and my dad was more clinical. Both were excellent at not analyzing my life too much when I was living it, which I was very grateful when I was a kid. I'm sure that there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of, 
but it wasn't like I sat down and felt like I was in the quote unquote chair for a therapy session whenever I talked with my parents. And for that, I've always been appreciative, but they did teach me a lot of really important things. And I'm sure that their background had a lot to do with what they shared. Now, my mom taught me among so many important lessons, how important it was to develop empathy and understanding early in the relationship. Genuine connection was crucial for her in establishing trust. She connected at a personal level. And I've carried that with me throughout my entire life. Among the things that my dad taught me was not offering advice to people who didn't ask for it. Don't offer unsolicited advice. Now, that's always been hard for me to do because of what I started off this podcast episode with. I am driven to achieve a result. I want to get to the solution as fast as possible. I want action. I want to solve those problems. And frankly, it's why I'm pretty good at sales. Remember, businesses exist to solve the problems that their customers have. So it's a natural fit for me as a problem solver, someone who is driven to offer solutions to be a good salesperson because I'm identifying what the problems are and then I'm offering a service or product that we have that can fix that problem. But I learned early on that most people aren't ready to hear solutions you have for their problems. People are not ready to hear the solutions you have for their problems. Now, imagine that friend of yours who's in a dead-end relationship. Everybody can see it. The entire friend group talks about it behind their back, or at least they've shared it with them and they don't take the advice. And so now they all talk about how miserable that friend is because they're in that dead-end relationship, but they still stick with it. Or a sibling or a family member who keeps complaining about their job and how awful it is and how terrible their boss is, but then they don't see how easy it would be to find a new one. Or your neighbor who struggles to keep, I don't know, the weeds in their front yard under control. Make things look good. And they look over and they see yours, but they never ask you, how did you get yours to look so good? Why is it perfectly manicured? Oftentimes, people don't know their own needs or they won't ask for help. And it's not a good idea to offer the solutions or the help or the advice or recommendations, suggestions, whatever, to people who are not yet ready for it. Now, kind of a funny story about somebody who's near and dear to my heart, my own brother. He got engaged, I don't know, five, six years ago to his now lovely bride, uh, Christina. And I remember him calling me. I was living in Dallas at the time. And he was like, Sam, tell me, how much is this going to cost? Like, bottom line, what are we looking at? And my brother is very much like me. We were peas in a pod. And I was like, it's going to cost X amount of dollars per person. He's like, there's no way. There were a lot of explicatives that were in, in, in between those two sentences, but he was pretty much like, there's no way that's just not going to happen. We just, we don't have that kind of money or we don't value the wedding that much or the people that we're looking at are more affordable than that. I was like, okay, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've only been in the wedding industry for a dozen years. What do I know? And I gave him all sorts of opportunities in the future to give me a call, reach out, talk to me, ask for advice and recommendations. But after I told him what it would cost, he never called me again. (laughs) They planned their entire wedding without ever talking to me and Katie. And the funny thing is the irony of it, they ended up spending over 50% more than the number that I gave them in the very beginning. He just wasn't ready for it. Imagine what it's like for your clients. You can see exactly what needs to be done for couples who inquire. You know this, you know the answer. 
You know the answer before they even ask the question. You can pick it up on their inquiry form or in the first few minutes of the conversation or where they're getting married. You know what they're going to run into that are challenges, obstacles. You know what their concerns are. You know how the family dynamics are going to get in the way. And you know how to navigate all of these things. And it's really hard to hold back telling them all of the answers that you know you're going to have to give them because they're just not ready for it. And it's even harder when they directly ask you for information like packages and pricing and you know that they're not ready for it. Because here's the thing. They aren't. They aren't ready for solutions. They're asking for solutions. But the problem is they don't even know what they need yet. Couples who inquire, more often than not, do not know what they really need from you. So let's break down the buyer's journey into three steps. Awareness, consideration, and decision. All right, awareness, consideration, and decision. Now, this is based off of Neil Rackham's study three decades ago, four decades ago now, that looked at over 30,000 complex sales transactions. And there's been a lot of research that's been done in the meantime, but it all basically goes back to this. And that is that at each individual stage in the decision-making process, there is a set of criteria that buyers are making decisions on. Now, he breaks it down into four different criteria. Price, services, or the solutions that you offer, needs, or the problems that they have, and then risk. So price, services, problems, and risk. And what's interesting is that he tracks each one of these four criteria over the three different stages of decision-making, awareness, consideration, and decision. And what we find in going through and looking at these tens of thousands of complex sales transactions is that in the early stages, in the very beginning, the most important thing that somebody can do is establish their own needs as the highest criteria for moving forward. They're going to focus on their own needs. And if they're not, they need to. Because if you don't know what you need, you can't move forward in the process. Now, in the second stage, the consideration stage, it's the services that you offer to meet those needs. Once they've been defined, the primary criteria for the decision maker is to identify what services are going to help meet those needs that they have. And then at the end, in the final decision making stage, it's the value that you offer for the services that you give to meet those needs, as well as the risk that they assume in buying your product or service? How can they mitigate or lower their risks? So when couples inquire, you can't assume that they're ready to consider your solutions. You have to find out first if they know their own needs. Now, I'm not talking about just their surface level wants. I want somebody to plan my wedding. I want somebody to photograph my wedding. I want somebody to create stationery for invitations. I want somebody to design flowers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are service level wants. We've talked in the past about these deeper psychological motivations that people have. What are their higher order needs? If it's planning a wedding, maybe they need somebody to help them navigate the relationships that are pretty tight between their family members and, and friend group. And they don't want to be the one who's hurting people's feelings. And so they're, they're actually bringing you in or the group is bringing you in to help make decisions with them, to facilitate that to be a diplomat between all of the stakeholders. Or if you're a photographer, yeah, they want photos, but they want photos where they look and feel beautiful and comfortable in front of the camera. So that means that you have to solve that awkwardness issue. That's the higher order need. 
So how does this all tie in to booking more couples? Well, I see two common missteps when wedding pros get an inquiry where y'all are jumping to solutions. You're pulling a Sam. <laughs> You're offering that unsolicited advice and sometimes not take enough time to connect before you get to the solutions that you want to offer because you already know the answer. So you're like, great, I'll get you the answer as soon as possible and I'll tell you how much it costs. And for you, that makes sense because you live in this world. But for the uninitiated, the couple who doesn't know what they really need, it's too much too soon. So what are these two common missteps that I see? Number one, sending a pricing guide after the initial inquiry. You've heard me say this before. Oftentimes it gets tied to Sam doesn't like PDFs. I don't like PDFs for sharing information that is likely to be viewed for the first time and maybe even the only time on a phone. All right. I just don't, it's not a, it's not a way to present information that doesn't require a lot of work. So I don't like PDFs, but it's mostly about the pricing guide. And that kind of gets lost in the shuffle there when I talk about it, because so many people get caught up on the PDF part, they forget it's more about the pricing guide. And if you go through and you look at the pricing guide, there's a lot of things that don't work about it. But the second thing, and I want to talk a little bit about this after the pricing guide conversation, is that you are hard selling specific services on what is meant to be the discovery call. So you're getting people on the phone and you're having a conversation with them, but you don't want to sell. And I know that seems counterintuitive. So I'm going to talk about that too. Now, again, if you're most like most wedding pros, you're going to get an inquiry. You're going to send out a pricing guide. You're going to ask if they have any questions and then you're going to hope that they don't ghost you. Maybe you get that second call or that first phone call to go over things. But here's the issue with the pricing guide is you're sending out information that is really a bunch of solutions, generic solutions before you even know what the problems are. And it's really important because these generic solutions that you're offering for problems that this couple may or may not have and may or may not be ready for is going to backfire on you because there's no value in what you're offering. They don't know that they need anything yet. You're offering them something that you think that they need, but you don't know that for sure. And they certainly don't know that yet. You've got to spend some more time talking about the concerns and desires that they have to identify what those quote unquote problems are, their unmet desires, their biggest concerns that are getting in the way of getting those desires. You've got to identify what those are first, right? Go back to Rackham study. You have to start with that. Sales is about the right info at the right time and presenting it in the right way. And your pricing guide might be the right info. It may not be, depending on their problems. But it's probably the wrong time. Too early. And if you're using a PDF, it's probably in the wrong way. Because it's hard to read on that phone, which is what 70-80% of your couples are using to look at your information the first time that they go over it. So that's the first scenario. The second way that oftentimes wedding pros make a misstep is selling specific packages and talking about pricing on the very first phone call. All right, so we get an inquiry, we get them on the phone. This is great. If you're not sending out a pricing guide, especially, this is great. You're on a discovery call. And on that call, there are a lot of different things that you're going to be working on. And you are going to do some selling, but it's a general sell. It's a soft sell. It's not a hard sell and it's not here are my packages and what's in them and here are the pricing and which one do you want? 
that's pretty aggressive. So we were doing a workshop earlier this week for the Blueprint to Book More course release that we're doing on the 22nd. And one of the questions that we got in the Q&A was, should I sell at the end of the discovery call or when do I sell on the discovery call? And I told Katie right after we got out of the workshop, I was like, I got to talk more about that. And that was the impetus for this particular podcast episode. So I want to break down four reasons not to sell on the discovery call. Number one, they're probably not ready for the sell because they don't yet know what they need, right? Go back to the fundamentals. The early stage is about getting them to identify what they need. That's what you're trying to do on the discovery call is you're not only trying to discover what they need, you're trying to help them discover what they need because they probably don't know the deeper need, the higher order need. They only know the surface level want. So you've got to help them understand that on the call. All right. That's what most of the discovery call is going to be about helping them discover and you discovering what it is that ultimately they want to need. So eventually you can make the pitch. So why don't you make the pitch on the phone? If you help them get that far on the phone call, why don't you make the pitch afterwards then? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, they're not going to remember much of what you said because they're not even taking notes. Chances are they're sitting there on the couch at their desk at work. Maybe they're in the back of a car writing to some party, but chances are they're not there with a pen and paper in hand taking notes. And so it's hard for people to remember what you said. Even if they are taking notes, they won't be able to write them down as fast as you are saying them. And they're going to get some things wrong in the translation. Another thing that's a challenge is that if you start talking about pricing, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. And it's going to get all mixed up in the middle. People do not have a good grasp of numbers and what those numbers mean. Because we're not wired for numbers. In our online community membership group, we just did our book club for February. And it was making numbers count. And it was a great little read, took just three or four hours. I recommend it to anybody if you're interested in just kind of getting some cool facts and different ways to present numbers. And what I can tell you is that numbers are really hard for people to wrap their head around. So when you start spouting off a bunch of numbers with a bunch of features of a bunch of different packages, after you just blew their mind by helping them identify what they want and need most, it's going to be too much. They're not going to retain anything. There's a limit to how much people can retain in one call. And when you start presenting stuff at the very end, they're not going to be able to process it. I think probably most importantly, out of all four of these reasons, that they're not ready for it, that they won't remember much of what you said, that they may mix things up, especially if they're numbers, the most important one is that you're probably not selling to all of the buyers who are in involved in making the decision or even the buyer who's ultimately making the decision financially, the one who has the credit card, the one who's going to pay you, that person is probably not on the phone. And so why make a pitch to somebody who can't make a decision? It's like going to a group of people who are involved in a business and you're selling a product or service to a business and there's a committee. Now there's Somebody who's going out and collecting the information, oftentimes it's a department head or could be an executive assistant of sorts. And they go out and they get that information and then they bring it back to the committee to consider. And your goal, if you're selling in that situation, is to get in the room with the group to make a presentation to the entire group because you need to have the decision maker there. 
And that's what happens when somebody inquires and you get on a discovery call with them. They're collecting information to share with other people, which is why you don't want to do the selling on the phone call with that person who is collecting the information. You want an opportunity to give them a proposal that they can all review together and you can review with them later. Now, it's tempting to jump in and sell your services. I know. I've been doing it my whole life, trying to figure out a way to solve problems. Uh, jigsaw puzzles, math equations, whatever it was that was in front of me. Even at a very young age, I have been driven like an engine inside me to solve problems. But the advice that my parents gave me was good, and I'm going to share it again. Start by building trust and respect and wait to offer suggestions on how to solve problems until the people that you're talking to, the couple, recognize their own issues, concerns, needs, desires in the first place. Thanks, mom and dad. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 